I want to say welcome to those people who are watching online right now in San Francisco, California. Mona and May, I know you're watching because Eddie just got baptized and we were able to show you that. Praise God for you guys being on. Also, Taylor watching in Wildemar, California. Hey, welcome to you too. I love how God is opening our uh, opportunity to minister and love on people beyond our walls. And we love that. Last night was wild. I mean, when you have a tiger, it's wild. And uh, they had a thing called a predator box, which is a plexiglass clear box, and they stuck me inside it and had the tiger jump on top and eat and growl. And I mean, that was incredible. It was so, uh, we had a great time last night. But I know, I know we're going to have a great time today. We are talking to the men. Uh, today, guys, it's us. And I want to promise you this isn't a beat up on guy sermon, okay? This is you and me together. We're going to talk about seizing our destiny and being men of destiny. And for all the women who are here today, I want to tell you this is not for you. Uh, you can poke your husband, but this, you know, just kind of kick back. Uh, this is, I want to talk to the guys about how we live the life God has for us. Because let me be as clear as I can. You matter. You matter to God. You are are invaluable to him. You have, God has a plan for your life. And, and these aren't just words. These are the truths of scripture. I'm hoping that more than ever you go, that's me. That's how I live. So uh, today, as we get ready for that, uh, we've asked Brian Boss to come. And there's a movie out called Courageous. And in that movie, there's a song, Mercy Me Does, called Courageous. And so uh, Brian Boss, who's in a group called Rogers and Boss, is with us today. And I know, I, actually, we've heard him. He's going to bring it. So I want you to think about the words. I want to think about being a man of courage. I want you to think about grabbing hold of your destiny. But I want you to also do this crossroads. Welcome right now, Brian Boss. The warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. But now we're watchers on the sidelines, while our families slip away. Where are you, men of courage? You were made for so much more. Let the pounding of our hearts cry, we will serve the Lord. We will make the people courageous, now we're taking back the fight. We were made to be courageous, and it starts with us tonight. The only way we'll ever stand is on our knees we're lifted hands to make us courageous. our resolution, our answer to the call. We will love our wives and children. We refuse to let them fall. We will reignite the passion that we buried deep inside. May the watchers become warriors. Let the men of God arise. We were made to be courageous. And we're taking back the fight. We were made to
Yeah, great job, Brian. Great job. Grab your Bibles and turn to um, Matthew chapter 10 and uh, hang on to it. We're going to come back to it twice. Then 1 Samuel 17 also, plus some other, other great, great passages we're about to look at today. Father, I pray your spirit would move and stir and draw us close. I pray, God, you'd open our eyes to the time we live in and the lives we're to live and the people we're to be, and we would hang on to that and not let go of it. God, I know what can occur if we just grab hold of all you got for us. And I pray today that's going to happen for a lot of people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, uh, I want to tell you, I don't think I'm necessarily a cowardly guy, but I'm definitely not a daredevil. And uh, I, there are times I, I feel that tinge of fear that many of you feel. And uh, for instance, uh, uh, anybody else have this issue? Pam and I, before we moved in the house we're in now, we had a bedroom where our bed was here, and there was the closet, and the closet had sliding doors. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and one night I'm laying in bed, and I look, and the, the closet doors open that much. And I know I shut it. And I'm laying there looking at it, and I look back, and now it's open that much. So you, you ever feel anybody else get that feeling? So I told Pam, go check, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm kind of kidding on that one, but this one I'm not. I, uh, most of my life, I uh, had my mind and too many times dominated by a, a type of fear called worry. I uh, could get so pessimistic, I could see all the, the how the scenario was going to work out at the worst way possible, which by the way, it almost never did. And I'd lay in bed at night trying to drive those thoughts from my mind as they would swim in and take over. And I'd find myself doing something the Bible says not to do, and that's fretting. And, and, and I would just go, and Pam would see that in me, and she'd warn me not to do that. She'd warn, warn me and tell me, Chuck, that's the opposite of faith. Man, God's got you, and God does great things, and God can take over and just trust. And, and I got to tell you, even though I knew that, it seemed like at nighttime, laying there in bed was where that battle would be fought. And all too often, I'd lose. Um, then in January, we went to the Holy Land. And uh, we had gone there to work with Palestinian Christians in Ramallah and Nazareth and Bethlehem. And by the way, the work we're going to do is incredible. Uh, we walked the holy sites. We walked the steps Jesus walked. We saw some of the most amazing things ever. But the place I could not wait to get to was the one that would change me. And that was the Western Wall. Uh, this is an actual picture of it, but it's not life-size. The stones on it are bigger than a person. They're enormous and magnificent. This wall is the wall that surrounded the temple that was torn down stone by stone that Jesus said would happen. It is the most holy place on earth at Temple Mount, which God has said is the most holy place and site we could visit. Uh, we, there are some stairs on one side that Jesus would have had to gone up to enter this area. And so when you go to the Western Wall, people are praying. And by the way, they're praying with passion. It's loud. But there's something powerful Something amazing as people are just giving everything they've got in that moment. And men and women are not allowed to play, pray together there. So Ronnie and I, Ronnie and Natalia, Pam and I were there. Ronnie and I went onto the side for the men. And I'm carrying my prayer in hand. And I walk up to this amazing wall and I sense the presence and power of God. And I stick my prayer in and I touch it and I begin to pray. And I've shared this before, but then it happened. 
See, I've sensed God speaking to me many, many times in my life, but I have never had it that powerful and that audible. God spoke. And it was almost in that moment, like everything got quiet. And I, I heard God say, be not afraid. And I'm holding the wall. And then I heard him say, don't be afraid. You leave your fear here and you never take it up again. And I stood there in awe of God and the presence of God, moved by God. And, and when I stepped back, I, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know what to do. I, I knew it was him. And I'm walking back to Ronnie and Pam and Natalia, and, and they could see something happened. And I got to tell you that, that God did something in me. Now, I am wise enough to know and smart enough to know, and I think all of you are too, that if God gives you a message like that, a time of testing's coming. Does everybody know that? By the way, if you go, I want God to say that to me, I bet he will right before something comes. So you know what? When it came, I was different. Not because of me, but because of him. I laid in bed at night and slept fine. We were going through some things around here, here and in my life, and, and I was like, Lord, I can't believe it. I've got such peace. I mean, my joy wasn't robbed. I believed God would take everything that was occurring and turn it into amazing, wonderful things. And by the way, he has. But as I hit that time of testing, only one time since January was that old attitude creeping up and about to get a hold of me again. And Pam saw it. And Pam looked at me and said, don't. Don't go back there. Don't be that person again. You're so much better now. And I just let it go. It's amazing how much that attitude and lifestyle and feeling of worry and fear robbed me of so much that God had for me. And I look today and think all the wasted energy, all the thoughts that never ever should have been in my mind that kept me from living a life of faith and holding on to what God has becomes incredible. It's been said, and it actually is somewhat true, that 365 times in the Bible it says, don't be afraid. Once for every day of the year, God says, just don't be afraid. Hang on, be his, don't let go. And God has that for you and God has that for me. But in talking about this, let me say this. There is a healthy fear. There's an unhealthy fear, the kind I was talking about before. There's a healthy fear, but when you know the healthy fear, it changes everything. And the only thing, men, the only thing a man in here should fear is the Lord is God. The fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. You should not fear life. You should not fear man. You should not fear the future. You should not fear circumstances. You and I, guys, were only to fear God. Jesus said that in Matthew 10 when he's talking to some people that are going to be tested. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to go through tough times. And notice what he says in chapter 10, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Now notice this next line in verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Only fear God. Only fear God. Don't even fear anybody who has the potential to actually put you to death. Only fear God. That's what he says. By the way, when you and I only fear God, it brings everything else into perspective. Um, John Knox was a, a Protestant reformer 
who uh, lived at the time that Queen Mary, who was called Muddy Bloody Mary, was killing Christians. And he was on her list, and he had been summoned to stand before her in her courts where he would almost assuredly be put to death. And he showed up, and he's standing in the outer court with amazing confidence. I mean, the courage is emanating from him. And someone looked at him and said, but Mr. Knox, are you not afraid of the queen? And he looked at the man and said, no, because I've just spent three hours kneeling before the king of kings. When the doors opened, he marched in, stood before her, not going to kneel. And he pointed at Queen Mary and said, Madam, if you do not repent of your sins, you're going to burn in hell. And if you need to give your life to Christ. And she was so afraid. She said, get him out, get him out. And she never put him to death. But it was said she lived all her life in fear of John Knox. Isn't that something? Peter Cartwright, a passionate pastor who lived at the time of President Andrew Jackson, He's also famous for something else. He ran for political office and he beat a young Abraham Lincoln for the office. Peter Cartwright had a tradition, a a habit. While the worship was happening in his church, he was in a, a side room where he was praying and asking God to give him the words to say and speak. But when he came out and he always started his sermon like this, he would walk out and he would stand and he would point at someone in the church and he would say, sir, would you stand up? And the man would stand up. And he would say, you're committing adultery. How dare you enter the house of God not willing to give that up. Today, if you will not repent, God will not accept you. Will you repent? And they go, yeah, I will. And said, okay, now you get right with your wife. He would do that every week. So today, no, not really. Uh, (laughs) He's back in the back room praying and no one was to disturb him. And there's a knock at the door. And the door opens. It's one of his elders. And he said, "Um, Pastor Cartwright, President Andrew Jackson is with us today. And the elders got together and met, and we're asking you, please, please don't embarrass us. And he shut the door. Well, when the music ended and Peter Cartwright walked onto the stage, he walked out and said, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here today. Mr. President, would you stand up? And President Jackson stood and he said, I want to tell you, even though you're the president of the United States, if you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll burn in hell like any other man. You can sit down. And the whole place, oh, and then reporters ran to President Jackson after that sermon. And they said, what did you think? Listen to what he said. He said, God's ministers ought to love everyone and fear no mortal man. If I had a few thousand officers like Mr. Cartwright, nothing would stop us. Let me say something. If this Crossroads family had a few thousand men who would stand firmly and boldly for God, nothing would stop this church. I want you to think about that. That's our prayer. That's our desire that men here would stand up for God and be bold for God. That you would seize your destiny knowing you're called to a purpose. That you would live a life that matters. A life that is effective for God with all the gifting he's given you. And by the way, if you're sitting here today going, okay, those are just words to get us enthused. No, they're not. Those are truths that come from the Bible. If you're saying, well, Chuck, I'm too old. Hey, Caleb was 80 years old, and God used him to win great victories. As a matter of fact, in his day, there were giants in the land, and Caleb at 80 said, let me fight the giants, and he beat them all. You could do it even if you're 80 or 90 or 100. 
You might say, I'm too young. Nobody's too young. You might say, I'm too weak. Guess what? He's strong, and he can take you and use you. You might say, I've made too many mistakes. God is the great forgiver and redeemer who will wash you clean and renew you and make you brand new in his eyes in such a way that you have a calling you can't imagine. God wants that for you. I'm not just saying it. God wants it for you. And our prayer in this day is that men, us men in here, including me, that we would grab hold and be everything God wants us to be and live the life he has for us to live. But if we're going to do that, guys, we cannot fear life, we cannot fear the future, and we cannot fear people. There are two kind of fears that can keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. Two conditions that could set in, either one or both, could stop you from experiencing the amazing things God has for you. So let me lay them on you. Number one, passivity. Passivity. Being a passive male. Not a man of passion, not a man of purpose, not a man who lives completely, but having a passiveness about you that keeps you from boldly grabbing hold of the life that he wants you to experience. Too often passive men sit idly by when great things need to be done. You probably heard of the story, and it's a sad, true one, that occurred in Philadelphia as a young girl was being attacked outside of a restaurant that had glass, and not one person picked up a cell phone to call. And not one man in that restaurant went outside to help her. I would hope if a Crossroads family member, a man from here was here, he'd be out in a moment. We would never sit idly by. We won't sit idly by when there's a need to be met, a ministry to be done, a member of our family to be loved, a person to be helped. We would never sit idly by. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be those kind of men. David was not that kind of a man. And if you're in 1 Samuel 17, I want to have you see two things. And this is good stuff. David, by the way, was a man of passion. He was a man after God's own heart. And God looked at David so thrilled with him. By the way, David had huge, huge failures. But God loved him because he was a man of great, great passion and willingness to throw himself out there. And David, many of you know, was called into action in a moment when he had to face a Goliath, a giant that was very real. The armies of Israel had gathered together to fight the Philistines. And when they drew up their alliance to go to battle, Goliath, who was nearly nine feet tall, stepped out and called out, I am the champion of the Philistines. Send your champion and we will fight. And whoever wins, the other will serve them. Let's just do that. And, and all of the army of Israel cowered before him. By the way, they had one man who should have come. His name was Saul. He was seven feet tall. He stood head and shoulders above anybody. And God had designated him for this moment. But what did Saul do? He cowered in his tent. So God was going to raise up the champion who would follow, who would not be passive, who would not sit on the sidelines. And it was a young, maybe 16-year-old uh, guy named David, whose brothers were in the army and would not stand up and fight. And their father, Jesse, had taken him from being a shepherd and given him supplies to bring to the army and to make sure his brothers were okay. It was on day 41 of Goliath mocking the armies of Israel that David showed up, dropped off the supplies. He's standing there, and out comes Goliath taunting and mocking not only the armies of Israel, but God himself. And David, they said, did you hear what's going to happen? And whoever beats him will be given riches and honor and Saul's daughter. And, 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 you know, and, and David's realizing, someone's got to go fight this guy. So he begins to say it. 
Did you guys hear what is going to be given? What is going to be given to the man who goes and does this? David only saw the man winning. He didn't see the man losing. See, all of the others felt like Goliath's too big to fight. David thought to Goliath's too big to miss. Go get him. And, and, and then he keeps prodding everybody. Go, go, go. And his brother, who should have gone, his brother comes to him and says to him and mocks him and belittles him and says, what brought you here from caring for those few sheep? In other words, you, who are you to talk to us? You have a, a minor, minor job. And David says this in the New King James Version of verse 29. It says, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? By the way, let me say the answer to every guy in this room. There's a cause. There's something you should live for that's greater than you. Something you should be doing that's more incredible than you can imagine. And it might start out small, but it gets big. It gets big when you put yourself in the hands of God. Zechariah in chapter 4 verse 7 says, Who has despised the day of the small thing whenever something's in the hands of God? Uh, by the way, David, because of his words, is brought to King Saul. And Saul says to him, What are you saying? And David said, I'll fight him. And Saul said, you can't fight him. He's been a warrior since he's been a young youth. You're but a youth. And David says, but when I had the sheep, a bear came and grabbed a sheep, and I grabbed it out of his mouth and killed it. A, a lion came and grabbed the sheep, and when it turned on me, I took the sheep, grabbed the lion by the beard, and put it to death. The God who rescued me from the bear and the lion will rescue me now. Now think about that. If, a lion, if you're grabbing a lion by the beard, where are you grabbing it? Underneath as its mouth is coming at you. And he said, but I was willing to face the lion and the bear. Now, why was David going to be successful against Goliath? Because he faced the lion and the bear. But I got to be honest, guys. How are we ever going to be successful when we cower in front of the chipmunk and the gopher? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? If the gopher and chipmunk scares us, then hey, we're in trouble. In other words, as you win the battles God calls you to, you'll be successful. And again, I'm, I'm being transparent and honest. Uh, I was um, asked a, a while back to speak at a convention in Illinois. And uh, their plan was to have thousands of people there, but all of a sudden it turned into thousands and thousands. I mean, they, they tripled the number they were expecting. And they had an incredible band going to be there, and I was going to speak, and they had a Christian comedian. And when I flew in and they picked me up, they said, hey, Pastor Chuck, uh, we never do this to a speaker, but we got to ask you a favor. Um, the hotel is more than sold out. Would you be willing to room with this Christian comedian? And, and I said, oh, yeah. I, I, hey, no big deal. They were apologizing. It's no big deal. So what happens is we got there and people come in and the band is amazing. The comedian was so funny. And then I spoke and, and God moved. I mean, he really moved. I mean, people were flooding forward, giving their life to Christ. And we're just sensing the power of God moving. And, and me and this comedian are walking back to our hotel room. We're, we're, we're on cloud nine, man. We're recounting what happened. We're joking. We're striking up this cool friendship. And I put the key in the door and open it. And I look in and there's a mouse running around our room. And it jumps into my suitcase. So we, he goes, did you see that mouse? I'm like, yeah. So we go walking in. It jumps out of the suitcase and runs. And we, two big guys, jump on the bed. <laughs> We're cowering in front of a mouse. And it's running around and jumps back in a suitcase. And, we're, ah! and I call hotel security. I said, we, we got a mouse in our room. And the security guy goes, ma'am, I'll be there to help you. <laughs> ma'am. 
So he comes, and we're kind of like afraid, and the guy walks in and looks at us. He's shocked, and he opens an outer door, and he starts pounding, and the mouse goes running out, and he shuts the door and goes, <laughs> and laughs at us walking out. <laughs> he was mocking us. I want you to think about it. I, I weigh 180 pounds. Back then, I weighed 230 pounds. Should this scare me? I mean, come on, don't you think if I got in a fight with him, I could win? And you know what's so weird is how many of us cower in front of something we could take? We could take it. Last night I showed this and then we brought out the tiger. Said, which one's tougher? David took on the lion and the tiger. I mean, the mouse would be nothing. And as we are faithful in the little things, God gives us victory in the big things. Now, by the way, last night people actually thought I was going to feed these to the tiger. <laughs> there were three. No, not really. Uh, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. That, that, that wouldn't happen. The idea is, are we going to be the people who God wants us to be? David was. So David, David doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have armor. He's never had a chance to have that. What he does have is what God has always given him victory with, his staff and, and a sling, and he picks up five stones. And he goes marching down to battle a man nine feet tall who had never lost a battle in his life and had risen up and become the champion of a mighty army. As he's walking towards him, and I want you to be in verse 41, uh, Goliath looks at him, and Goliath, Goliath can't believe it. What are you doing? Well, how dare you send a little guy out against me? He's insulted by this. So he begins to taunt David. And notice what it says in verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, now catch this, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Did you catch that? You come here, you come here and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Don't, don't miss what he said. And notice what David says in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, now catch this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Did you catch it? No, no, you may not have caught it. You might not have caught it, so make sure you do. Goliath says, you come here, you David come here, I'll kill you and feed your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. David says, you come here, I'm going to knock you down, cut off your head, then I'm going to kill your whole army and give their flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Did you catch that? You and your army are going down. He's only got five stones. And yet he's saying, get the army out here, I'll just fight you all. Did you catch that? I mean, you know why he, he could do it? Because of God. Because of God. Now, you ready? Any man in this room who stands with God, you and God are a majority. Did you know that? You and God will win. You and God will do it. 
And God has a calling for you. Men, we together are called by God to rise up, and we cannot allow ourselves to be passive. You can't sit on the sidelines. You need to be the man God wants you to be. You need to be the husband God wants you to be in love with passion. You need to be the, the, the father God wants you to be and pour into your kids. There are daughters right now that need you desperately because God put a calling in your life to love your daughter like she's never been loved before so that no other man can possibly compare. Uh, you need to raise up sons. You need to raise up sons to be strong men. And you know what? It's not about your size. It's not about your intellect. It's not about anything else other than your commitment to God. And when you're a man of God, that's all that matters. And you'll be that kind of man. We need men doing ministry. We need men standing up. Hey, by the way, I talked last week, and I, I, I mean this. I believe this nation needs a revival and needs to be called back to God in love and in power and in courage. And we need to do it. And whenever I talk about that, there's, and I don't mean to be demeaning at all, but I'll just get it out there. Whenever I talk about us taking a stand in things that matter, which we do, always there's someone I know they're caring, and they come and say, well, Pastor Chuck, don't you know there's this thing called church and state? And, and, and we need to stay out of those things. And, and we shouldn't be political. Now, I don't want to be overly political, but let me be as clear as I can. When it comes to the rights of defending the life of an unborn child, we stand up strong. When it comes to marriage, we stand up strong. When it comes to morality, we stand up strong. When it comes to protecting our children and their innocence, we stand up strong. And you know what? We do that. We, do, we are to defend the defenseless. That's what God says. And the church is to be a moral voice. Separation from church and state doesn't mean they are not allowed to impend on our rights. It doesn't mean we don't have a voice to speak out. By the way, there are men who have died, so you and I have that voice. Uh, we're supposed to do it. And what you could, I can promise you is I'm not going to be passive when it comes to these things. I stand before God one day. Even if the, right now all of you cheer and I love it, but even if you didn't, God has put a calling on my life to stand for him and I'm going to do it. And we need every other man. We need you. I need you. God wants you to do this so we can't be passive. Uh, the next thing is we can't have paralyzing fear. There are times that what happens is fear grabs hold of us and keeps us from seizing our destiny and the calling God has for us. And we don't want that to occur. And there's five areas where we find paralyzing fear being shown. So I had you write that in your notes. Five things you want to say are never going to be true of you because it would keep you from a great life. Number one, a fear of commitment. Number one, a fear of commitment. You've got to be willing to be a person who throws yourself in and says, I will be 100% committed. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For he who would seek to save his life would lose it. But see who would lose his life for my sake will find it. I want to tell you guys, please don't miss this. If you would follow Jesus with everything you have, taking up your cross, denying self, you'll end up living an amazing, incredible, wonderful life. It may at times be hard, but praise God for that. It may at times be challenging, but you'll win. And so you and I are not to have a fear of commitment when it comes to God, our family, our friends, the calling in our life. We just got to throw ourselves in and be committed. So we should not let a fear of commitment stop us. Number two, a fear of failure. A fear of failure. I can't tell you the number of times I talk to someone and say, well, I would love to do that, but I'm not sure I'd be good at it. Well, you won't know till you try. You might say, but what if I fail? I'll go ahead and tell you, you will. You're going to fail at some point. 
You're not going to be perfect. Just join the club. What if I look foolish? Join the club, right? You know what? And it's only in trying that the old saying's true. It'd be better to try and fail than not try at all. Hey, by the way, I'd say this, just go down in flames. I mean, if you're going to do it, go down big. You know, and, and we need to do that. We can't be the kind of people who are afraid of failure. But by the way, in the end, when someone has a fear of failure, that means we don't have faith in God. See, because God's got you. God will carry you. And if you fall even seven times, God will pick you back up. So don't be afraid to fail. Teddy Roosevelt said this, and I love it. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose faith is, face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst knows if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. See, we need to be those kind of people. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. We do not need to be governed by that, so we should not have a fear of failure. Number three, we should not have a fear of people. There will be critics. Let me just say it again. If you're a Christian living in a dark, unrighteous world, there will be people who do not like you or it. Jesus was perfect, and he had critics. Jesus stood for God, and they tried and did finally put him to death. The truth of the matter is, we cannot expect the unrighteous to applaud the righteous. We need to actually embrace the fact there will be critics. Whenever you go to do something great, you'll have a critic. You can't let that stop you. Jesus warned in John 5, how can you and I say we believe in God when we seek glory from one another? We can't seek other people's glory. We've got to seek to live for him. Jesus said the blessed life is found when people at times do attack us. In Luke 6, it says, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. He goes on in verse 26 to say, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Uh, I was asked not long ago to pray at a public event. Uh, it wasn't a church event or a Christian event, but the man who's leading it is a very strong leader, and, and he thought it would be good to have me there. And so I was honored, and Pam and I showed up, and, and I was excited to see thousands of people. Matter of fact, I saw a lot of people from the Crossroads family there. And I believe in the cause. I believed in what they're doing. I thought, this is great. And so we had a great time just sharing and being around. And then it came time for the program I would, I would pray at. And the, this leader walked up, and he thanked everybody for being there and talked about the difference their cause would make. And then he said, you know what? I just thought it would be really appropriate right now to ask Pastor Chuck Boer of Crossroads Christian Church to come and lead us in prayer. And as I walked out, there was some applause, and then booze started. I got booed. It wasn't super loud. Matter of fact, as they booed, other people decided that, no, not, they actually overwhelmed them with cheers. 
But I was looking inside, and here's what's weird. The people who were booing me, Pam is standing right in front of them, and they don't know it. They didn't know who she was. She's looking at them. And, and so anyway, I, I prayed and, and thanked everybody. And when I got done, I walked off, and Pam ran over to me, and she goes, you got booed. And I said, well, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if they weren't saying boo her, boo her, you know. And she goes, no, you got booed. She goes, that's great. And she goes, there they are. And I looked at them, and they all, you know, ducked their heads. And, you know, Pam goes, they booed you. She goes, Chuck, I am so proud of you. She was, she hugged me. She kissed me. If anybody wants to boo me today. And uh, she, you know what? She, Pam believes if I'm standing for God, there ought to be some boos. And she told me, she said, I've never been more proud of you than tonight. I'm proud you're a man who takes a stand. I'm proud you do that. And you know what I want to tell you? Jesus is proud of you guys, you men, when you stand for him. And you are not going to let anybody else's thoughts stop you from grabbing hold of a destiny and a life that matters in significance. And we can't allow that to happen. We also can't have a fear of life circumstances, worry. In Matthew 10, I ask you to hold that. Jesus talking about only fear God says this, are not two sparrows, in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a sin, and yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from the Father. What he's saying is sparrows don't have a lot of value, but God cares for them, so don't be afraid. Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than sparrows. Know that to God you're valuable and he's got you. So there's nothing in the end to worry about. God loves you so much he even counts the hairs on your head, which for some of you done like that. But uh, uh, God loves you. And if he cares enough to know how many hairs on your head, he cares enough about the thoughts in your mind and the tears that are shed and the laughter that's made. And you and I don't need to be afraid. And, and then the last thing is this. Don't let a fear of being exposed stop you from grabbing a hold of who God wants you to be and the life he wants you to live. By the way, let me just say this. Walking with God is a life of transparency. We cannot try to pretend we're something we're not. We can't cover up the truths about us. We cannot try to fool ourselves, and we certainly can't fool God, and we shouldn't fool others. We've got to be honest about our failings. And let me tell you this. When you get honest about the shame in your life, it will free you from that shame. When you get honest about the things you're doing wrong, it's the first step of having God enact a brand new life for you. And, and Jesus said these words in John chapter 3. He said this. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. You can't be afraid of that. It'll stop you. It says in verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so his deeds may be manifested or made clear as having been wrought in God. In other words, it's not about pretending something I'm something I'm not. It's about saying, here I am for all my weakness and all my failings and all the things that are wrong in my life that God loves me anyway. And he's helping me overcome that. And by the way, when men are willing to do that, it frees everybody else. So that means right now, if there's something in your life that's dark and bad and not good, just find someone to share it with you can trust and be honest with God and honest with them and say, help me be free. But don't pretend you're something you're not. Don't hold back. And whatever it is, say to God, I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to get rid of it. I'm not letting let it dominate me any longer. And then you become a man of faith. How does all this happen? Ultimately, it happens that we seize our destiny by coming and kneeling before the living God. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now catch verse 7. Casting all your anxiety, which is your anxiety, your worry, and your fear on him because he cares for you. Throw it all to him. Say, God, take it. I want to be that kind of person. In other words, here's what I'm saying to guys today. God loves you. God cares about you. God has made you on purpose. He had you be born in this day, in this time, in this place, and he wants you to live for such a time as this. He wants you to be who he wants you to be and to experience amazing things that sometimes happen in small ways and and sometimes happen as you face great challenges, but always with God, it turns into an amazing life. And he really has that for you. But you can't hold back. You can't be halfway. You've got to be a man who is willing to commit to God. And today I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the men in this room. All of us together will be that kind of person. Father, I pray right now, I really do, that your spirit would stir and touch and be upon every single man in this room. God, I know that this church needs thousands of men to arise and stand for you and for your cause. They need to seize their destiny. They need to live out their gifting. They need to know the hope of their calling, and they need to not stand back or shirk from it. God, I pray today's the day we look back, if you tarry, and we say it's a day that our church changed for the better. Because men said they're yours. Men said they want to be committed. Men said they're not going to hold back. And I know there are already lots and lots of men like that, not only in this church, but in this room right now. And I love them. And I love that I get to live life with them. And I love that we're in this together. So God, right now, I pray you'd stir in the hearts of our men, on me. And I pray we're yours. I want us to keep praying. This is a prayerful moment. But sometimes moments matter. And this one's gonna matter. Right now, I'm going to ask all the men in the room who are willing to say to God, I'm yours completely. No holding back. Just to tell them, just to whisper that prayer. I'm yours completely. I'm not going to hold back. I'm I'm going to be who you want me to be. I'm going to live the life I should live. And if you're a man who prayed that prayer and you're ready to say you're completely committed to God, I want to ask you to do something. Every man who prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand right now in honor of God. You just stand right where you're at and say, I'm his completely. Praise God. Wow. Praise God. Man, praise God for every man who's willing to stand for him like you are. I just praise you. Wow. Wow, and we need you. We need you. Keep standing. Don't sit down. Keep standing for the Lord. Now, I know that many, many of you who stood just now, you're already walking with God and you're already His completely. But I also know there's some of you right now that today's a new day. Today's a day of rededication. Today's a day you're saying, I'm His. For some of you, it's the first time. For some of you, it's saying, I'm I'm not going to hold back. For some of you, it's saying, hurt is not going to dominate me and fear is not going to dominate me. Some of you are saying, you know what? It's a day of redirection. But I'm going to say this. If you're a guy today that not only is standing for God, you're saying this is a new and brand new renewed commitment to him. Either a rededication, a redirection, a letting go of hurt, or a first-time decision. I'm going to ask you to do something. 
I'm going to ask you to be bold enough right now and just stay standing. But the men who are making those kind of commitments, I'm going to ask you to make your way to the stairs or make your way to the aisle and come right up here and stand saying today is a brand new day for me. So right now, all the men who are doing that, just come on up. Wow. Praise God, man. Praise God. Praise God. How awesome. Praise the Lord, man. Wow. Wow. Praise God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome, man. Wow, this is so cool. So cool. Wow. 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 Let them know how excited we are for their stand today. Man. Wow. And, uh, man, I, I'll tell you, already hundreds of men have come, thousands of men have stood, but every one of you individually today, this is awesome. I, I, for me, this is incredible because I'm with you in this, and we're standing together and saying we want to be completely committed to God. And look at a lot of you. I know some of you I don't, but every one of you, God does care about you. But since this is a day of commitment, I'm going to ask you to do something. We always ask people to whisper in prayer, prayer, where we commit ourselves to God. But guys, I want to do this. No whispering. I want us to say it loud and proud together. Let's, let's, I want us just to pray a prayer, commitment to God. And then after we do that, I'm going to ask you to go in this room so we can find out who you are and have people pray for you and make this day incredibly special. But let's just say this to the Lord right now, but, but shout it out. Say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I know you love me. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to cleanse me from sin, to free me from fear, to heal me from hurt, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I'm yours. No holding back. In Jesus' name. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. And I'm going to ask you guys to head right through those glass doors right there. We want to make this day special, mark it as special. Just go ahead and head that way. And uh, praise God for every single one of you. Let them know again how excited we are for them. Wow. Oh, man, I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Praise God. Oh, awesome. Oh, praise the Lord, man. Awesome, guys. Man, praise God. Hey, let them know again, you guys. This is so incredible. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord, man. Praise God. Wow. Oh. I, I think I told you Mike Underwood, who's graduated from West Point, said uh, after last night, he said, this is going to change our church. 
When men stand like that, men are doing that. And I know lots of you had took a stand because you're already walking with God, but thousands of us together, look what God could do. But by the way, the calling to this new life, the calling to this love and a calling to destiny is not just for men, it's for women too. The Bible says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free or male nor female. God has commissioned and called women to stand strong too. And by the way, I've learned this. In a church where men stand strong, we're not afraid of women standing strong. We just embrace that and love it. But today, there may be some women here who need to make a commitment too. You may need to give your life to Christ or rededicate your life. There may be somebody else here, a guy or a girl or another man, who's thinking, you know what, something's stirring and I know God wants me to go. So we do not want to stop this invitation in time unless we give God a chance to call somebody. So let's pray. Lord, I praise you and thank you for your love. I praise you, God, for all the men that came to service and all the others. But I know, Lord, right now that if there's even one more person who needs to come, God, I pray they would know it. If there's two, God, I pray they know it. And I pray right now there's something happening upon them and within them. They can sense that they need to walk forward too. They need to commit their life to you. And if it's a guy, if it's a girl, if it's another man, if it's a woman, right now, God, you want this for them. You want love. You want cleansing. You want healing. You want them to experience life. You want them to seize their time. Maybe you want them free. Father, I pray you're touching them. And right now, if you sense that God wants you to do this, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to start by whispering a prayer to him and saying, Lord, I say yes. I say yes, I'm yours. I say yes, I want you. I want your love. I want the life you have for me. I say yes. In Jesus' name.